morning, everybody. I'm very encouraged to see so many of you here. feels like the room's not any less empty than usual. No, I'm just kidding. Just a little bit. Thank you all for coming. And uh, for those of you that are online, I don't know where I'm supposed to look, but I'm glad you're watching as well. Um, I don't know what it is. I feel like every time I have the pleasure of getting up here, it's like the worship leader has looked at my notes the announcement person has looked at my notes, and they're saying things that I'm about to say. So I assure you, this is just a coincidence. I'm not sure how it all works out, but we'll be touching on some things that have already been mentioned. Praise the Lord. Uh, why don't you open up your Bibles to John chapter 15 this morning. We're going to be learning about fruit today. So last time I had the pleasure of being with you guys on a Sunday morning, we took a look at John chapter 10, uh, where Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. Today we'll be taking a look at another statement from the Savior where he refers to himself as the true vine, the true vine, John chapter 15. Now, as any of you know that have read the Gospels, there are a lot of of biblical metaphors that do not very conveniently carry over into our contemporary understanding. It can be confusing, frustrating, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we often need a lot of historical context to even begin to understand these things. But praise the Lord, today we have one that makes sense to us. Living here in the valley, uh, we are very familiar with vineyards and fruit and all that good stuff, and Jesus is going to use that imagery to explain what I would call some very simple but very profound truths to us. And let's pray really briefly before we begin. Father, what's more to be said? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are, Lord. I pray your spirit would be upon us now. Please speak to our hearts, Father, and have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 1 of John 15, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. So before he explains his role as the vine, Jesus tells us that God the Father is the vine dresser, also referred to as the vine grower or very basic terms, the farmer, right? So he, God, is the one that oversees the production of the fruit. He observes the branches, he cares for them, he tends to them, and he cultivates them. And he is very interested in the health and the production of his vines. And just like any vine grower, right, he's after fruit. You wouldn't plant a vineyard just to observe the lovely leaves that come out on them, right? We're after the fruit. We're after the fruit. So Jesus says that every branch in me, in him, the vine, that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. So what does it mean to bear fruit? I think it would be important, first of all, for us to know what he means by this before we go any further. What is the fruit of the Christian life? Well, here's a very easy way to remember and understand this concept. Think about it this way. If Jesus is the vine, then the fruit must be a product that reflects its origin, right? 
A grapevine produces what? Grapes. An apple tree produces apples. So if Jesus is the vine, and we are a branch in that vine, as he says, then what kind of fruit ought we to produce? Jesus fruit, right? That's what you're thinking. That's okay, you can say it. Jesus fruit, exactly. Jesus fruit. The fruit is all of that which demonstrates that Christ is in us and that we are truly His. That is the fruit of the Christian life. Growing in sanctification, growing in holiness, growing in the knowledge of God and good works, growing in Christ, becoming more like Him. You probably know the famous list uh, from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these evidences that one is joined to the true vine. But verse 2 begins with the inverse of this. He says, every branch, that is, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away or cuts off. And we'll see exactly what he means by this as we move forward in the passage. But for now, take a look at the second half of verse 2. I just touched my face. So <laughs> that's going to kill me. I, oh my goodness. Okay. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So anyone in here with any gardening experience knows that you can't just let plants run wild, right? You can't just let them do whatever they want to do. They will take over your home. They will choke you in your sleep. They will come into your room. They'll do it all. Um, <laughs> there's a reason that God gave Adam the task of tending and keeping the Garden of Eden. Fruit-bearing, well, not only because he needed work, but because fruit-bearing plants need to be tended to in very specific ways if they are to thrive and produce fruit. And Jesus tells us that this is exactly what God, our heavenly vine dresser, does in our lives. It's what he's doing in our lives. This word that's translated prune, this is actually the only time in Scripture that this specific Greek word is used. I'm no Greek expert, but this word comes from the word katharos, which means clean or pure, clean or pure. So this pruning that God performs is to make us pure by purging or pruning certain things from us, from our lives. Now, if you've ever pruned a plant before, you know that it involves cutting off parts of it. And I imagine that if plants could feel pain, they certainly would as you take your pair of loppers or shears or you know, maybe even a chainsaw, who knows, and proceed to cut unwanted portions from them. And so very much in the same way, this pruning that we receive from God can be painful. It often is painful to be pruned by our Heavenly Father, but it is necessary, it is absolutely necessary for our growth and it is according to His purpose. See, often the thing in this life that we want to avoid most is what? Pain. We want to avoid pain at all costs. Or when we're in pain, we want to get out of it as quickly as possible if we can't avoid it, right? Whether it's physical, mental, emotional pain. And to that I say, Amen, right? How many people in here just love being in pain? 
Did I see a couple? Oh my God. Oh, you guys are young. Just you wait. Just you wait. I'm so glad all the kids are in here. It's wonderful. Um, so, yes, of course, naturally, we avoid pain. But in so doing, in so doing, we must be careful not to overlook the beautiful thing that God is doing. See, we are the only people on the planet that can truly, as Romans 5 says, rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. Let me ask you all today, do you rejoice in sufferings? Do you rejoice in the difficulties of life? Does that just make you excited when challenges come, when there's illness and ailments and people coming against you? Does that get you fired up? How is this possible? How is it possible that we can rejoice in suffering and tribulation? Well, Romans 5.3 continues, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Without God, without God, pain and suffering are the worst possible things in this existence. Bar none, hands down, no questions asked. They are contrary to everything that we desire as human beings. We want to be comfortable. We want to feel good. We want to be happy. We don't want to be in pain, right? Every one of you that's aging and experiencing the deterioration of joints, how many of you are just thrilled about that reality? Yeah, laugh, laugh, laugh. I get it. It stinks. The worst possible things, pain and suffering. But listen, if there is no purpose, if there is no creator, if there is no transcendent morality, and this life is all that there is ultimately, then tribulation is to be avoided at all costs, right? We should do whatever we can to get out of a bad situation. If it doesn't feel good, Stay as far away from it as possible. But it is not so for those who call upon God as Father and on Christ as Lord and Savior because we know that God has promised us that He is constantly transforming us into the image of His Son. Ultimately producing what? Character. Character. Godliness, also known as, for today's passage, fruit. God is producing fruit in us. Fruit. And what does Romans 5.4 say about character, about fruit? It produces hope. It is an assurance of our salvation. It is an assurance that we are, in fact, His children when we continually grow in Christ's likeness. Because, and I'm going to spoil the next part of the chapter, but without Christ, it is impossible it cannot be done. We cannot produce fruit. When we continually grow in Christ-likeness, we know that God is at work in our lives, pruning us for His good, or no, for our good and for His glory, which I guess is ultimately for His good as well. And we rejoice in that work. We rejoice in suffering. We rejoice in that vine-keeping. We embrace it, even in trials, even in suffering, even in cataclysmic 
world events, we embrace it because by its effects we know that the Spirit of God is at work in us. Amen? It's an assurance that we know Him. So Jesus has told us here how a fruit-bearing branch can bear a fruit-bearing branch can bear more fruit by the pruning, the vine-keeping of God. The cutting off of things that are not pleasing to Him, right? The strengthening of godly character. Thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, attitudes, relationships, habits, all being brought into submission to the Lordship of Christ. But now He's going to describe for us very clearly how we are to bear fruit in the first place, beginning with verse 3. He tells his disciples this, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So this right here is the first crucial step to fruitfulness in the Christian life. There are a couple different ways this verse has been interpreted, but I think the key to understanding is right here in the context. In order to bear fruit, to even begin walking down the path of sanctification, you must be saved. Right? You must be saved. We must first be made clean in the ultimate sense, made pure, cleansed by responding to the Gospel. Remember verse 2, he said that God would prune the fruit-bearing branches to the end that they are made pure. And in this, he's referring to sanctification, the continual process that all believers spend their lives pursuing. But here in verse 3, he reassures his disciples that they've been made clean in reference to salvation. He's saying both. He's saying you are already clean in the sense that your sins are forgiven and you are being made clean in this life now until the day you die. And his words call our attention back to John chapter 6 where many disciples turn away because of the words that Jesus was saying to them. And Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So in all of this, first thing is first. Before we can hope to bear fruit, we must be reborn. We must be made alive spiritually, reconciled to God through His Son. We must become attached to the true vine by believing His Word. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the words of eternal life, as Peter said, believing that He is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and putting faith and trust in Him alone as His twelve disciples did. And then comes the command in verse 4. Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit, for without Me you can do nothing. I need to get a lift for this thing. My neck is just... I feel like I'm always just looking straight down. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so the key word here is to abide. Abide, which means to stay, to remain, to continue in Jesus. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. 
So like I said, this has got to be one of the most simple illustrations that Jesus ever used. And yet, it gives us the solution to what we often perceive to be our biggest difficulties, our biggest challenges in this life. I'll never forget this time in my seventh grade science class, which was a very, very, very long time ago. (laughs) We were learning about photosynthesis, right? Very amazing. The plants absorb the sun. Just fascinating stuff. And each of our groups had this little plant that we were responsible for. I think there was probably four of us, but, you know, I was holding the plant, being the leader, of course. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember the prompt exactly, and man, I wish I did, I wish I did, but it was a long time ago. But I do remember so vividly, one of the most basic instructions was, don't break the little branch off of the plant. Simple, right? Don't break the branch off. It will defeat the purpose of this experiment if you do this. Well, somehow my adolescent mind perceived that as a way to shortcut the very laborious and scientific work involved in this experiment. So sure enough, not ten minutes later, here comes Mrs. Williams walking over, and she sees my broken plant in front of me. And she comes over, and you know, I'm, I'm smaller then. You know, I was pretty short until high school, so I'm, I'm sitting in my little chair. And she says, I specifically told you guys not to break the plant. And I'm going, yeah, I, I know. I did a bad thing, you know. So I'm there in my chair holding this little, this little piece, this little branch in this hand, and I've got the rest of the plant here. And I'm kind of ashamedly looking at them while she looks down at me, not knowing that this moment would haunt me for the next 15 years. And she looks me straight in the eye and she says, or she asks, can that branch perform photosynthesis any longer now that it's not connected? And I look at it, And I shake my head and I say, no, no, it can't. (laughs) It's, It's painfully obvious, right? It's painfully obvious. The very second that a branch is disconnected from its source, it begins to die. It can no longer perform photosynthesis. It may happen quickly or perhaps with some plants more slowly, but the reality is very much the same. It can no longer produce. It cannot live apart from its vine. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in our passage. He is the vine, and we are the little branches. What does the branch receive from the vine that it needs? Everything, right? Everything. It simply cannot survive without being connected. So unless we hold fast to the vine, unless we cling to Jesus as our lives depend on it, We cannot bear fruit. Without Him, we can do nothing of ourselves. And it would be crazy to try, right? Would we we break a branch off of a tree and then lay it on the ground and think that it's going to grow an apple? No. For it is God that works in us to produce fruit. It is only by the power of His Spirit and the grace of our Savior that we are able to do anything anything of eternal consequence. And to try to do it any other way is not only impossible, it is insane apart from Christ because of the fallenness of man and the holiness of God. Think about the things 
that God has called us to do. Think about the things that God has called us to be. Consider them. To live in holiness and righteousness. To love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To see others as more important than yourself. To die to yourself daily. To pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Every single one of these things is, here's a fancy word, diametrically opposed to what the flesh desires. And only by supernatural intervention are they possible. It's the only way. And not only possible, but promised, guaranteed by our passage here. With men, impossible, but with God, inevitable. He says, He who abides in Me and I in Him bears much fruit. How much? Maybe 30-fold, maybe 60-fold, maybe 100-fold. No one knows ultimately but God. But one thing is for sure. He who abides in Christ will bear much fruit. He who acknowledges his neediness and comes to Jesus, desperate for Him simply to survive, He who relies on Jesus alone as the source of all things for life and godliness will bear much fruit. So how do we do this? How do we continually abide in Him? How do we remain in Jesus? How do we stay? We do it by faith, right? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So we faithfully seek Him in His written Word through which He speaks to us. We seek Him in prayer through which we have bold access to Him, all the while recognizing that we are wholly and helplessly dependent on Him and acknowledging the glorious and wonderful reality that it is God abiding in us, working in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. See, fruit-bearing, listen to this, fruit-bearing is not a futile attempt by human beings to prove or earn their connection to Jesus. It is not in order to earn our connection to Him. Not at all, but rather it is a necessary outcome of an inward reality. If He is in us, we will bear fruit. We will. And this is going to sound probably boring and old school as could be, and I'd like to think that that's a good thing in a time where culturally we're always looking for something new, always trying to reinvent the wheel. Right? Pray and read your Bible doesn't always sound so exciting to our excitable ears. But the simple truth is this. If you draw near to Jesus, your life will change. Period. In everything you do, seek Him and you will bear fruit. Hold fast to His Word. Hold fast to the Word of life and hold fast to the Savior Himself. This is the only possible way. And now, as we'll read on, God takes this fruitfulness very seriously. Being a farmer, He is very concerned with the fruit of His vineyard. If you read in verse 6 with me, He says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, 
and they are burned. So now Jesus describes for us the inverse of everything that we've just discussed. He is not saying this. He is not saying, if you believe in me and seek me and fail, I will cast you off, right? That's exactly what Pastor Joe was talking about. If you seek me and you mess up, I am not going to cast you off. We will always fail on this side of glory. We'll always fail on this side of eternity. But no. Again, he simply states the necessary outcome of an inward reality. But this time of the one who does not abide in him. And again, there are varying interpretations of this verse. It could be that he's referring to the kind of people illustrated by the parable of the sower that hear the word and receive it with joy, but walk away when persecution or tribulation comes, or that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches come in and choke the word, and they do not bear fruit. They become unfruitful. Or perhaps as the Apostle John wrote, they went out from us because they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Whatever the case may be, the outcome is the same. He who abides in Jesus and Jesus in Him will bear fruit without exception. And he who does not abide in Jesus, for whatever reason that may be, does not bear fruit. He is cast out and withers. And naturally, right? A branch that's been cut off goes from green to brown. It dries up and becomes brittle. And it's no longer of use to the vine keeper. So they're gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. And this is, this is the ultimate end of all who reject the Savior, either outright or as the parables seem to indicate, uh, perhaps some will only appear to be connected to the vine for some time. Even dead branches can remain for a period without being noticed, right? Until the time comes to inspect the fruit. Some have only rested in the faith of family, but have never come to believe for themselves. Others have prayed guided prayers, uh, but were otherwise unchanged. It went on as if nothing different had happened, revealing that they were never truly connected to the vine. Whatever the case may be, if you hear these words now and you are uncertain, if you can't see the fruit of of the Spirit of God working in your life, if you know you are not abiding, remaining in Christ, drawing your life from Him as the source, please, if you're watching, if you're here, do not wait another second. If you're looking at your life and seeing no victory over sin, please stop trying to bear fruit on your own. It is impossible. Come to Him with a broken heart, believe His words, believe in Him, be forgiven today by God's grace through confessing your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You can do it right now where you're sitting, whether you're in a chair here, whether you're in bed at home, whether you're on your couch. Today is the day of salvation. And if you are hearing His voice speaking to you now, do not Harden your heart. Today is the day. Today is the day. Now is the time. Of all times, don't wait 
until it's too late. Don't wait until you, you know, stick your fingers in your mouth and then next thing you know, you're in big trouble and you're concerned if tomorrow's going to come. And we all should be, shouldn't we? Not concerned, but aware that tomorrow is not promised. So do it today, my friends. Now for those of you, and I hopefully assume, I, I gladly assume that most of you that are here or listening online, that are walking with Jesus and growing in Him as He leads you, here is the Lord's great encouragement as we read our last two verses for this morning. Verse 7, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be My disciples. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Wait, I missed a part. Right, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is an even better promise, believe it or not. Again, I don't know if you were just reading my notes or what, but this is a better promise. Abide in me and your desire shall be given to you. God is a loving Father, and because He loves us, He often says no, right? How many fathers in here? You guys are probably very accustomed to the word no. It's probably a, a well-used word in your vocabulary. No, 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 no. Can I, no? Can I have this? No. I want this? No. No. God is our Father, and thus He must say no to us. Frequently, right? Maybe even more often than not. But if we are connected to Jesus, the vine, fervently in prayer, in His Word, and that relationship takes root in us and completely shapes our desires. Shapes our desires. And we pray from those godly desires according to His will, it will be done for us. That's a promise. Bless you. It will be done for us. This calls to verse another very <laughs> calls to mind another very familiar verse uh, from Psalm 37, where King David writes this: "Trust in the Lord and do good; dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass." So these promises are conditional, but they make perfect sense. God answers prayers that are in subjection to His will, that are founded in His priorities, not in ours. Oftentimes the reason our prayers are not answered is because we simply ask for the wrong reasons. We may even be asking for the right things, but for the wrong reasons. We have to consider His Priorities first. We must pray with prayers that come forth from His Word abiding in us as we delight in Him, trust in Him, as the psalmist says, feed on His faithfulness, and as our passage says, abide in Him. But ultimately, ultimately, verse 8, it is all for His glory. This is my favorite part of the chapter. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. 
I want to read a short passage from the book of 1 John chapter 2 in closing. If you're a speedster, you can probably get there or pull it up on your phone, verses 3 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, where John tells his readers how they can know that they are saved. And it comes perfectly alongside our passage today to put on display the glory of God that Jesus is talking about here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides, there is our word for the day, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Well, hold on a minute there, John. Just one moment. I thought... We can't keep His commandments, and that's why we need grace. That's why we need a Savior. Exactly. Exactly. That is the message that Jesus is telling His disciples. Remember, it is not by keeping the commandments that we are joined to Him. It is by keeping them that we know we are joined to Him. How do we know that we know Jesus and that we are abiding in Him. Well, what does John 15 tell us? If we abide in Him, we will bear fruit. How? Not of ourselves. It is impossible. Without Him, we can do nothing. But in this, God is glorified. Do you see? It's the very fact that we can't keep God's commandments that brings Him such glory because any time we do keep them for one moment one passing second any time that we are successful in reflecting the nature of God any time that we bear fruit it is entirely and necessarily him it is him he is the author and the perfecter of our faith working in us and through us by His power according to His good pleasure for His glory. And that is what we're here for, isn't it? We're here for His glory. We're here to worship Him, to hear from His Word, shaped by it. If there's one thing in the universe that rightly deserves honor and glory and worship forever, that is our God. He gets the glory when we bear fruit because without Him, we cannot bear fruit. So ultimately, it is Him, the one, as Pastor Joe said, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Our connection to Him is not based on us keeping His commandments. It is based on abiding, on trusting, on relying on Him for everything, for every need, for clothing, for food, for life, for godliness, for righteousness, for salvation, for everything. He is the vine and we are the branches.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have gathered your people here today, God, and that you gather your people every week, Father, whether we're here physically, whether we're watching online, whether we're here in spirit, God, we thank you that you have called us to be your people, Father, by your power, by your saving grace, God, we are made perfect, we're made whole. We thank you, Lord, that you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you. We thank you that you offered up your Son as a sacrifice on our behalf to pay for our unrighteousness, God, to shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind, Lord. In times of uncertainty and and danger, Father, we just rest in the fact that you are God. You are the creator and sustainer of the universe. Nothing is beyond your sight. Nothing is beyond your direct involvement. And nothing is beyond your purposes and your plan, God. So we rest in the fact that you are in control, God, and that you have promised those who believe in your Son eternal life, Lord. And it's to that that we look forward. It's to that that we await the glory that is to be revealed in us when we see you face to face. We pray for all those that are sick, suffering. We pray for Pastor Bill, that you would bring him home safely to us, God, that you would restore him to health. And all of our church body, Father, who are sick and suffering, Lord, we pray that not only that you would heal them, God, but that you would use their suffering, Father, to bring them to you, God, to glorify yourself. Use this situation worldwide, Lord, to convict us of our neediness, God, of our frailty, the immediacy of the need for the gospel, Lord, which we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen.